Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back, guys, to the Could Be In Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me, I have my new friend, Dave. Dave, welcome to the Could Be In Grace podcast, brother. Hey, brother. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Wonderful to have you. What can you tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and what ministry projects you're working on? Oh, boy. Uh, life, marriage, ministry. Um, that's going to be a long... Oh, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, con- I'll condense it. Um, I lived in Southern California, and uh, I was uh, probably what many would call a nominal Christian. If you were to ask me at the time, though, um, I grew up in Michigan, then moved out to California. I would probably say, yeah, I'm, I'm born again. I'm, I'm a Christian. But um, even though I believed, uh, like many of you who are watching and listening, you probably didn't live according to what you said you believed, meaning maybe you went to church once a week like I did. Uh, maybe I we went to a Bible study, thought I was a good person, but there was still that one foot in the world. Mm. And I struggled with that for, for many years, trying to pull that, yank that foot out of the world. You know, I think of 1 John chapter 2 where Jesus says, if, if you love the world and the things in this world, the love of the Father is not in you. And verses like that made me think, they're sobering. And I thought, oh man, we all, especially in America with the freedoms and the blessings that we have that we take for granted, it's easy to get wrapped up into worldly things. It's easy to love what we have now in this life, but it's not about our best life now. And that's for a whole nother conversation. Maybe we'll get to that, but I had one foot in the world and I had to say, you know what, am I willing to live for Christ? Am I willing to, as he said, deny myself, my flesh, my desires, and go after him, passionately pursue him and seek first the kingdom of God. So I was in that place where I I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian and doing all the things, maybe leaning a little bit toward the works um, mentality. Um, When I said uh, something just a minute ago, it made me think of Psalm 37, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, Dave, as you know, that scripture has been ripped out of context and uh, a lot of people use it to mean God is a genie in a bottle and he will give you whatever your heart's desire. It has nothing to do with God's will, right? But no, the interpretation of that is if we truly delight ourselves in him, and I'm, I'm sharing this as part of my story and my uh, advancing in the faith and understanding of God and my own selfishness and my own wanting my life, my way. If you surrender your desires to the Lord, if you're truly committed, then you want what he wants for your life. You want his will. You can sincerely with full authority pray, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I got to that point where I finally said, God, what do I have that I don't owe you anyway? So what, what, what my life is his. So when I got to that point, I started making that those changes in my life going, oh, that's got to go. <laughs> sometimes it's attitudes, sometimes it's actions, works, sometimes it's just habits and things, even some spiritual things we think are spiritual. We got to go, okay, is this really what God wants me to do? So a lot of self-evaluation 
in those years in California. And I was at, I was at, on the prayer team at church. I was part of Bible studies. I would have potluck praise parties at the house. And, um, I was doing all the things and I sincerely was trying to follow after God, but still with that struggle, especially in the, the Southern California, uh, lifestyle and, and the temptations and all that. So, um, I did uh, finally rededicate my life. <laughs> what I can't tell you is, was I was I born again then? I would have said I was already born again, but I think you can be born again and believe without living fully for the Lord. And we may be able to have a conversation about that at another time, because some people say, no, wait a minute. If you're not fully living for the Lord, you're not born again. Well, we can debate obedience and, and different things and the authentic works of uh, salvation. But um, I was in a Christian band. Yes, I had the long hair. I had the mullet. I was in a Christian rock band. I was a drummer. Um, I met my wife um, around that time, a little after that. And she was a singer, a worship singer. And she came to sing at my church uh, to fill in for a worship team. We were at a Calvary Chapel in Santa Monica, California at the time. Okay. And uh, within a couple of years, um, she had been there, I think, 13 years in California. I had been there 17 years. And the quality of life and the smog and the traffic and the, the cost of living and the government and so many things were pressing us. Uh, and, and plus, my job was kind of up in the air. So we ended up moving to the Midwest. Long story short, um, we uh, got into uh, a good church here now. And I got into the podcast here, which I host Stand Up for the Truth in this building. I'm actually, your listeners and the audience doesn't know it. I'm actually in my boss's office. <laughs> so I technical. Oh, I got to tell you this story, Dave. I'm sorry. I'm talking so long. That was a, this is a lengthy answer to your short question. Mm-hmm. Last week, I was ready to do an interview with Alex Newman. I've had him on the podcast. You got to talk to him if you have any expert in education in the deep state and globalism. So I interview him quite a bit. He was returning the favor because of my book, Canceling Christianity. He was interviewing me. So we hooked up around this time, trying to get everything connected. And there was a problem with the, the video was skipping. It was like the, the, the audio and the video were skipping going, what's going on? It was the internet connection in this building ah. and we couldn't figure it out. He's in Florida connecting to me here in Wisconsin. We're trying to do, he has a technician somewhere else, engineering connecting us. So I said, let's try this, try this later. Maybe it's too many people on the internet. We couldn't figure it out. So I came back later. It's five minutes before we're supposed to go on. We connect. All right, everything's good guys. And all of a sudden the light above me starts flashing like a strobe light. Blink, blink, <laughs> blink, 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 blink. I'm looking up. It's almost, it was almost demonic. I'm going, this is crazy. So we closed the blinds and we kind of try to figure, put out a lamp behind me. Anyway, we got the inter- the interview going. No one knew when, when they actually watched it because my lights in the, I had to shut them off. Long story, just a little bit longer. After the interview with Alex Newman for the New American magazine, I get up, I go to the wall, turn the light switch on just to see, and it comes on normally. Uh, that's weird. But when we were trying to do the interview, it's flashing like crazy. All that to say, here we are. And it's been a blessing doing the podcast that I do, talking with people like yourself. And if your audience doesn't know, I had Dave on about a week or two ago. Um, just great conversations. When, when I'm feeling beat up, overwhelmed, um, looking at the world, uh, really hating the world. And I guess that's a good thing. If you hate this world, you just can't wait to be home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I get so encouraged by the people I get to talk to. So that's what brings me to where I am today. Um, and we'll get to some other things too, um, which yeah. really 
Um, I'm just really trying to pursue what, what God wants for me, like most of you guys want to do. And uh, it's hard. It's hard with all the busyness and distractions. But uh, Dave, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for allowing me to ramble so long. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, brother. You're all right. All right. Well, all right. thank you for sharing, brother. Well, today, guys, we're going to talk with David about his new book, Canceling Christianity, How the Left Silences Churches, Dismantles the Constitution, Divides Our Culture. If you're watching this, you can also look at the look at the beautiful cover, guys. <laughs> uh, great stuff. Uh, so can you tell us how you uh, why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? brother? OK, well, boy, how it will be received. That is out of my or how it is being received. Yeah. yeah. OK, that's a good question, because yeah. this is amazing. I got the press release from my publisher um, yesterday. It's hit the top, the, the what do they call it? The best-selling categories, three or four best-selling categories on Amazon. Nice. Congratulations. I got to tell you what, I'm, I'm, this is self-published, guys. I'm not with a big co- publishing company. We don't have any marketing plan behind this. It's the, first of all, it's God. Glory be to God. Amen. But it is it is the body of Christ. Mm. You are having me on. Heidi St. John interviewed me. Jan Markell interviewed me. Alex Newman, uh, Good Fight Ministries, and I've got more lined up. And plus my friends on social media, I've been shadow banned on Facebook for years. Um, I've been censored quite a bit. I tried to put ads on Facebook. You know, they, they can allow you to boost posts and yeah. put ads up there. They rejected four ads for my book, Canceling Christianity. They canceled the ads. How ironic, huh? But because of that, I started asking friends for help. And this is interesting, Dave. I I don't, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have done that because in the past I was able to just put stuff out there. Friends would help. I'd talk about it at church, whatever. But because of the restrictions, suppression, I call it, you know, Romans one, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Well, big tech is suppressing the truth. And so I've been saying, humbling, humbly asking people for help to get the word out because I've been censored and it is just going crazy and people are buying it and it's what a blessing. So thank you, the body of Christ. Dave, thank you for taking the time to have me on and just to talk about this, to give me a platform. So that's how it's being received, which so far so good. Why awesome. I wrote it, um, I've written a lot about culture. I've got a, a Freedom Project Media um, episode I do called Christ and Culture. That's just who I am. I just try to look at the culture and the world, our society, our context in America from the biblical worldview what's right, what's wrong, where are we going, where truth and God are concerned. And I try to apply what we know from the word of God and how we are doing, how we can better respond and how the church is doing. And that's what's disappointing. So I write a lot about the church, but what happened last year in 2020, three major catalysts, I call them uh, the, the three crises that brought us to a boiling point or a tipping point. I believe in America, in the church, the angst last year of the presidential election, the previous four years, so many, even in the church, but the media and the left, they were on the attack Trump bandwagon. Whatever you think about Donald Trump, he was our president. And I, I will I will make no bones about defending his policies, not his background, not his history, not his attitude at, at times, not his tweets, and not his abrasiveness at times, but the policies that he, the, the legislation that came out of that administration, you would think he was a Christian. I'm not saying he is. I hope he is. I hope God is working on his heart. I know he had Christians around him praying for him. Christians doing a Bible study in the, the administration. So But all that to say, we are so divided. And in a presidential election year, after all that hatred for four years that the media was partly complicit in, we were a divided church as well. Um, That was going on. Then COVID-19 hit. And now we had to react as a church. 
Well, what did government do generally? The, and the doctor Fauci's and everybody, they, they deemed the church non-essential. Wait a minute. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to defend the church, the purpose of the church, the mission, and how we worship, how we go about church in America, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just get very impatient with people that say, you know what, let's just, you know, watch a video at home for a year. That's a, a poor substitute at best for uh, assembling together, uh, praying with each other, having communion, the Lord's table, um, teaching the word of God, hearing the word of God. So a video is a, a, I mean, you can learn from a video, a teaching, but it's a very poor substitute. So the church reacted one way and then the riots. We had a level of lawlessness in America we had never seen before. And I mean, never. That was crisis three. Now, I have no problem with anybody wanting to stand up and, and, and d- demand racial justice. Justice. God is a just God. He's holy and just. I understand that the need for justice. But they, people were flipping that on its head and, and, and making it something that it is not. So I write in one of the chapters about the Black Lives Matter global network. And you have to frame it that way because this isn't just a spontaneous idea or a group of people wanting to support people who are Black, people who who are against racial injustice. I'm against racial injustice. I'm against injustice, period. But when you start pouring leftist ideologies into it, it is a Marxist-driven movement It was funded by the left. At one point, if you donated on the Black Lives Matter website, if you donated money, it went directly to the Democrat Party through Act Blue Charities. You can look it up. So all these things were going on and Christians started to lock arms with these protesters. What were they justifying? Here's the thing. Well-meaning or not, well-meaning or not, what were they justifying? theft? Isn't there something about a commandment about not stealing? Thou shalt not steal. So they're they're justifying looting, burning down buildings, lawlessness. What happened to the the law law and order? What happened to the laws of the land? So the constitution, that's why on the cover, I talk about dismantling the constitution. We had lawlessness we had never seen. So we were in a very new place in America. Those three things at a boiling point, I thought the church is not really responding. The ones who were responding biblically to this, they didn't have a voice because the social justice warriors, the apostates, and those others who were trumpeting the leftist cause and these Marxist ideologies, those were the ones that were given the platform. So I started writing about these things and that that morphed into the book. And But that was the catalyst, I think. It came to a head in the year 2020, a year that most of us won't soon forget. Yeah, that's really good. And what you're saying about the church is so important because, you know, we, we I think we talked about this on your podcast and on the radio. You know, the church is absolutely essential. It's essential to the to the yeah. life and the well-being of, of, of people. I mean, mm-hmm. to civilization, what people don't understand is, you know, Christianity itself was the reason we have universities and hospitals and on and on because yep. we we are concerned about people and because we love the Lord and we want to serve other people, uh, serve our neighbor and care for them and those kind of things. And the most loving thing we can do is to preach the gospel and to tell the truth. And that where is the hub of that? It's the local yeah. church as J.I. Packer once said, the normal Christian life is lived in the local church. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, Bill Hybels, uh, for heaven's sake, he used to say, I think that the, the local church is the hope of the world or something to that. And he's, you know, he's absolutely right. The local church is the hope of the world because it has the 
only message of hope in Jesus. So, can I share something, Dave? Um, yeah, you brought up a point. I, I, I felt the necessity to put in a chapter. I think it's chapter three. It's called the historic impact of Christianity. I wrote this because of the lie that too many have believed that the church is non-essential. Christianity has lost its, its impact. Now we can argue about influence and our lack of salt and light in our culture. We can argue about that. But let me just share with you some of the life-changing biblical principles that the church has brought to the world and to America, the value and sanctity of every human life, the abolition of slavery, the dignity and respect given to women, the stability of the family, advances in science, hospitals, healthcare, labor, ethic and practices, economic freedom, educating the poor, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, reforming laws to protect the weak, art, literature, architecture, education, philosophy, compassion, charity, justice, and equality. And then, according to Rose Publishing in that same chapter, dozens of Christian relief organizations do so much good for America and the world, including more than 30,000 humanitarian workers, shipping more than 225 metric tons of food, handling disaster relief for millions of people annually. They serve the needy with food, clothing, medical care, supplies, small loans, drinking water, shelter, and the list goes on and on and on. I read about that in chapter three because people in our culture are believing, oh, Christianity isn't that important. Of course, it's not essential. What do they think is essential? Um, uh, you know, of course, grocery stores like but Walmart, uh, Home Depot. So don't forget Amazon. Hardware stores, Amazon, right? Walmart. Um, <laughs> abortion clinics, big abortion yeah. business. They never shut down. And they were never told by blue state governors or mayors to shut down. Hmm. So abortion is essential. Yeah. But the Church of Jesus Christ, we're, we're told to shut down. And we did on the holiest day on our calendar, the Resurrection Sunday, brother. Yeah. The tomb of Jesus is still empty, praise God. But Amen. The churches, churches were closed. Yeah. What's wrong with this picture? So that's what caused me to write that chapter. Just condensing yeah. I mean, books have been written on this, but condensing <laughs> the the worldwide and the impact of Christianity on America and our culture that we absolutely need if we're going to have a healthy society moving forward. Well, well you're, you're touching on something that's so important, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I don't talk about it probably as much as I should, but it's a conversation my wife and I have had many times over the 14 and a half years of marriage. And, you know, what we're talking about is how important the life of the mind is to the to the Christian, I so appreciate what you do in this book, showing how Christians are not anti-intellectual because we're painted mm. as absolutely uh, stupid, almost, uh, I don't want to use the word retarded, but, you know, dumb, you know, um, by our culture. Um, and you clearly show through scripture, world, and church history, why Christians are not against the life of mind. How how important is it to articulate that Christians are not against the life of the mind, but for the life of the mind? Wow. Um, I think of so many different verses right now that are in my head, but one of them, obviously, the one that those who are in the apologetics uh, uh, industry or that side of, of ministry, um, they talk about the importance of 1 Peter 3.15 of always being ready to have an answer, to give an answer, defend the faith, really. But apologetics means defend the faith. Um, in defense, give an answer to anyone who would ask you the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready. One translation says, be ready to make a defense. Another translation says, be ready to give an answer. 
So we are to be able to explain, and here's the problem with American Christianity going back generally now. So there are some very good churches out there. I call them the remnant, uh, remnant believers, true, solid on the biblical foundation of the, the authority of Jesus Christ and sound doctrine and the whole counsel of God. But we kind of lost track of being able to talk about our faith because we backed out of culture. So we weren't generally having these conversations. Um, and so to be able to talk about not only what you believe, of course, I believe the Bible. Of course, I believe in God and Jesus. Why? What you believe and why you believe it. So we should be able to explain to people the gospel. But what oftentimes happens was, um, well, at least when I was growing up in decades in the past, people would ask, you know, you, a Christian would be asked the question, why do you believe? Or why do you believe that? Well, because it's true or because I believe the Bible, or because my mom and dad did, or whatever, because God said so. You know, God, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, yep. we, we need to go a little deeper. So that the mind, we need, God's given us a mind to work and to be able to reason, to be able to use logic and be able to process things and explain to people. I mean, I ask for wisdom every day because you never know where someone's coming from. And we need to be able to respond. There, there are people at all kinds of different levels, right, of belief. Some are in, indoctrinated in a cult. Some are in our world religions. Some of them are atheists or they think they are. Um yeah. Some of them are, are lukewarm Christians. Some of them think they're living for God, but they're just doing a bunch of good things and they think they're a good person and that gets them to have. So we need to be ready depending on what people, uh, their, their experiences are and where they're coming from. So yes, the mind is so important. I think of people, my goodness, uh, founding fathers that really used intellect and faith. What about Isaac Newton? One of the, one of the most important scientists in the world. Not many people know that he was a he was a solid Christian. He wrote, Isaac Newton, look him up. He wrote more about biblical things and scripture than he ever did about science. He wrote about Daniel and Revelation and prophecy. And you're going, Isaac Newton? Yes. So, but we've, in this day and age, you hear the word science. And I like to quote the princess bride. Whenever I hear the left or someone, uh, you know, hmm. pushing a certain thing, environmentalism or global warming, science. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> because yeah. who here's, I think I heard Frank Turek say this, and it's brilliant. He said, science doesn't speak, scientists do. And so the Fauci's of the world, the Dr. Fauci's and the doctors and the scientists that are supposed to be the experts, they speak, but does that mean they are 100% right? No. So we have to use our mind. We just can't take everything they say. Oh, okay. What if they said, all right, wear a mask, get vaccinated. What, what if they said, no, now we have to wear a helmet to protect our head from, I don't know, dust that has a virus in it. Oh, we'll start wearing helmets. Can you believe? So everything that we're doing, we've got to you know, really kind of push back and go, all right, let's do the research ourselves. Let's look into this. We have minds. We can process. We can research. And so I know this is how I got more into a scientific or a medical uh, topic there, but this is the thing God's given us minds, right? And so Tam, I hope that answers your question generally yeah. anyway. Yeah, that's really good. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> what you said was so good. It, it takes us to the next kind of point here. And okay. you know, on page 40, you, you say this, that Christians look to scripture for answers. We look at context for applications on how to live a godly life according to what the Bible teaches. God's word explains his heart when it comes to our involvement uh, government laws and rulers in society. Uh, what 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 should be a Christian's involvement in politics, whether they decide for a career in politics, you know, or or not? Oh boy, that is a yeah. I mean, that's a simple question, but it's loaded because of our lack of understanding of politics. 
Um, what is what do politics have to do with it? Do, do politics, government, civil government, legislation, does that have anything to do with moral issues? Mm. If we were to say yes, most Christians would have to think about that because they're calling abortion a political issue. They're calling well, God's creation, if, if you're questioning gender, then you must question God's creation of male and female, if you're questioning gender. So then you've got to remove God. You're, again, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. What about uh, same-sex marriage? Jesus defined marriage between one man and one woman. You know, God ultimately, in the Old Testament, Jesus affirmed it, and I think Mark uh, uh, 10 or, or in a couple of different places. So these things, are they political issues? Or are they moral issues? We're talking about morality. Well, civil government has to do with legislating laws, right? And so um, we have to be a part of any uh, any career, any profession. There needs to be Christians because there needs to be salt and light in this world. So I personally believe there should be Christian uh, um, architects, uh, Christian school teachers, which there are fewer and fewer now, uh, clearly. Um, Christian politicians? Yes. Yes. So the short answer, well, that's a long answer, but yes, absolutely. We need to be involved in any part of society where we can reach people, where we have influence. And that, Dave, is where we've lost a lot of ground in America. You know, there's a verse, I think it's in Ephesians, where Paul warns about giving the devil a foothold. The meaning of that is topography, ground. Don't give the devil any ground. What have we done in America? Every major institution in America has been, I call it, hijacked by the left. They control it. Now, some people have a problem with me using that word. The left controls major institutions. <laughs> look at oh, the media. Yeah. Look at Hollywood. Look at the government. run. Who runs the education system? Is, is it a godly education system? Can you learn theology? Can you learn the Ten Commandments? Can you pray? Can you look, talk about God in America, in our education system? Not anymore. So who has control over that? The left. Underlying all this is spiritual warfare. This is demonic at its core. And that's why I write in the book, this is canceling Christianity. Now, long story short, you cannot cancel God. Our God cannot be canceled. That's on the back cover for someone to say, come on, canceling Christianity. Aren't you being a little provocative? Aren't you being a little sensational? Well, here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to cancel reminders, you and I. They're trying to cancel and, and suppress and silence disciples of Christ, believers that are living in this world, but not of this world. Um, let me share a scripture with you real quick. Second Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, and this involves politics. This involves if you're whatever your profession is, if you're not in a, in a ministry, if you're not a pastor, if you're not in a church uh, organization. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Hmm, what is that limit? It says everywhere. For we, you and I, believer in Christ, we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma. We are supposed to leave an aroma of Christ in our culture. We are supposed to, of course, try to preserve our culture. We're supposed to strengthen the church. But uh, of course, the concept of salt and light keeps coming up. What is salt? A preservative. What does salt also do? It flavors. What does salt also do? 
Ooh, it kind of irritates and stings sometimes, doesn't it? So sometimes Christians got to be the stinger and, and the irritant. I think I've, I've taken up that mantle sometimes, being the irritant <laughs> a little too often, Dave. Uh, but then the light, the, what does the light do? The light, first of all, points to Jesus Christ, but the light also exposes the darkness. So we are supposed to be all of these light, salt, the aroma of Christ. How do we do that if we stay within church walls? Impossible. So yes, get involved in politics. Yeah. What you're saying is so important. I was hoping you'd go here because what we have to do as American Christians is we desperately have to un- understand the reformational doctrine of vocation. The idea that hmm. it's not just the pastor, it's not just the clergy, it's not just somebody in a right. quote, professional ministry or whatever, like you and I would be. Yeah. It's every Christian. It's that lawyer. It's that janitor. It's the person that cleans and uh, the, the maid at the hotel. It's, we need all of us, all hands on deck guys, all hands on deck. And I want to say this also, you might be, we have lots of moms and, you know, single moms or married moms who listen and they follow me too. And I want to see your job. You have a job that Mm. is so so important mm-hmm. you know, and don't let anybody look down on you or d- diminish you or any of that because you're doing god's work there that is a ministry god bless you for that yep. you know and every every single thing whether we're writing speaking talking whatever all of it is to be done for god's glory uh in fact there's a uh, it's funny that we're talking about this in a, in a ha-ha kind of way but Abraham Kuyper said, you know, there's not one square inch where God does not say mine. He says, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. And guess what? You belong to Christ. He belongs to you. He is yours and you are his. That's union with Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. But what that means is that also that all of your life, every single inch, your thoughts, Mm. your feelings, all of it, it belongs to Mm. God. And that means all of your work belongs to God. And that means all of your influence also belongs to God, which also here, here, here we go with this. Uh, it means that you're going to be held accountable too for all every mm. square inch, all of it yeah. down to the nanosecond. Yeah. All of it will be accountable. So amen, brother, you're, you're hitting on it. And I, and I was hoping to go there because that's where I wanted to go. So yeah. Yeah. I quoted that, that quote was yeah. in my book, the Abraham yeah. Kuiper. Yeah. 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 So good. Well, I know, you know, many Christians, they're concerned growing up. I know this is true. They're concerned if they get involved in political discussions, they may be no more for their political engagement than for their Christian faith. How mm. should Christians balance their political engagement with their Christian faith? Oh, how do you balance that out? Hmm. Well, obviously, our, you know, our faith has to come first. I think that's a simple answer. Um, political engagement. Okay, I know, I know, I know, I know. Here's a good example from last year. I saw people on both sides of the spectrum in the church. You got the anti-Trumpers in the church, the orange man bad in the church. They didn't even know his policies, but they thought, oh, he's, he's got to be bad because the media tells me he's, he's bad. And then you've got those who are all in to a, almost a Trump apologist. And that's not good either to apologize, not apologize, but to defend anything and everything he would do, say his past, every policy. I don't agree with every single decision that he made. I would say most of them, and I would clearly, I mean, that's why I wrote a chapter in the book called Policies, Platforms, and Procedures. We've got to get this R and D out of this conversation, guys. We've got to look at the the B or D, biblical or demonic. 
instead of R&D, B&D. We've got to look at policies. We look at, if these are major parties in America, we've got to look at their platforms from the biblical worldview. So back up, take the word of God and go, okay, does that policy line up with what's in my Bible? What, what this is, whatever subject it is, let's just say abortion. You know what God's word says about life. Why do we justify it? Because we want to support uh, a woman to have a choice. And we go all into all that. But the point is there are people on both sides. So forget the extremes, guys. On the left, it, and this is my personal viewpoint, on the left, if you're supporting the Democrat Party platform, I'm not saying there aren't any, there are not many conservative Democrats, but there aren't any Christians who are Democrats. I would say most of them are Democrat and then they say Christian. But if you've got the Democrat above Christian, same thing on the other side. If you're a Republican and then you're a Christian, both are dealing with idolatry. That's the thing we have to contend with. We can talk about all these other issues, abortion, same-sex marriage, socialism, all these other things, government running, you know, but when you remove the R and the D, then it's, all right, I'm putting God first. Then we've got to really pray about how we, who we support, because I think we will be held accountable for not only what we do, but what policies we support, who we vote for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're making a really, really important point, and I want people to pick up on it. It's that, you know, you're saying, hey, you're not a Republican and you're you can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, but your principle, your supreme identity, your ultimate allegiance is yes. to Jesus. And you've been yes. like we just talked about. We you, you we were united to him by faith in Christ alone. That's union with Christ. Amen. And, and that's that's our that's our identity. That's yeah. who we are. It's not our party platform. It's not our policy. It's not our uh whatever we think about, whatever it's, it's Christ. It's yes. Christ and him crucified. It's, it's what's the scripture say now out of that, out of that, you, you, we're not diminishing whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, and we're not picking on you if you're one or the other. Okay. Uh, I think both of us are very conservative. So you yep. already know where we, <laughs> where we go with that. Okay. But that's the, our bias, <laughs> you know, you know, but, but why, where do we get that from? We get mm. it from a biblical, we, we go there from, we, I think we both say, I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, we go there from a biblical worldview. And so we test things, we, we, we read things and then we think about it biblically. And then we, we arrive at conservative conclusions after thinking about it, because we're using our rational mind. We're thinking, mm -hmm. we're testing to see if these things are so as uh, the Bereans were commended and, and we come to these conclusions and, and those are, those are good things. So. Yeah. But uh, idolatry can be political, yeah. meaning you can put your party above God. And I think there's a good, in the church, Dave, a lot of repentance needs to take place when it comes to idolatry, putting a political party above the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and his eternal word, scripture, the Bible. Um, I hope some people who are listening, I hope you are convicted by this. The Holy Spirit, let him do his work because you will go, yeah, I guess I voted this way because my parents always voted this way or I was brought up in a certain way or whatever. But we've got to, like you said, test all things when it comes. But idolatry, we can put our careers, we can put family, we can put leisure, we can put entertainment. We have all kinds of idols. How about pro sports? Uh-oh. Oh, uh -oh. Don't go there. Don't go Don't there. Go there. Uh -uh. No, no, you did no. it. No, My you sports did it. team. Um, well, I used to like the Green Bay Packers. I'm still in the area. I'm just not into sports as much as I used to be. But that was, an, uh, that was a problem. I had to repent of my idolatry. 
And on Lambeau Field in Green Bay, man, it's got a big G on it. Doesn't mean Uh, God. (laughs) Idol. That's the Green Bay Packers temple, right? And the head of that idol is Aaron Rodgers. Well, uh, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) It is. I mean, pray for him. Pray for him. He's been deceived. He's gone down this this road uh, against God and the truth for um, more than a decade. But pray for him and a lot of professional athletes they think they have it all yes. they've got the fame they've got the the ability to play whatever sport it is it's but like you look at tom brady too. look at yeah. look at tom brady he even yeah. said that life is meaningless and he, he wanted to find something that was more meaningful i mean yeah he's got a supermodel wife and <laughs> kids galore money at the gazoo Sick, i mean what is it six thousands. super bowl wins now yeah, i mean he, and he's saying life is meaningless anyway it's uh, so, so well, I pray that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gets through to him and someone I know, I'm sure someone has shared the gospel with him. I pray that those seeds were planted. I pray that someone comes along and waters those seeds. And it's not just a, a Tom Brady. We don't have contact with these people, but we see Hollywood celebrities, Dave, and people, even in politics, there are some, particularly on the far left, you look at them and go, could God ever reach them? Well, God can reach anybody. Amen. All we have to do is pray. But if you've got someone in your life that is rebelling against God, who has rejected the truth and the gospel, there comes a point, still pray for them, but there comes a point where you've got to wipe the dust of your sandals off your feet and move on to the next opportunity. Don't, what, what's that? The pearls before swine, maybe yeah. Yeah. that into the conversation. That's yeah. why it's so important to be led by the Holy Spirit. I know we got a little off track here. Sorry about That's that. all right. No worries. No worries. <laughs> You're right on uh, page 48, by the way. You know, persecution is not on its way to America. It's cute. Mm. More Christians are being banned, bullied, censored, discriminated, fired from job, kicked out of schools, mocked, sued, and persecuted today. How should American Christians prepare themselves each day for persecution that is here mm. and further persecution that is coming? Now, hold on just a second here. I want to say this, that sure. you know, we, we see this happening in Canada. We just saw Tim Stevens. We saw yeah. you know, James Cote arrested, taken in away for what? For violating their charter rights, their, their legal rights. Now, some people will disagree with that. They'll probably tune this out and unsubscribe from this podcast. But the, the clear thing is, is that they have a right to assemble mm-hmm. and their rights are being violated. Their legal rights, all because of a, a health mandate. Now, none yeah. of us... None of us, and I want to be clear about this because whenever anybody says anything, they get all in a huff about it. Now, let me be clear about it. I absolutely do care about people. I care about their health and their well-being. As a Christian, I care about that because every person is made in the image and likeness of God. Amen. And and so we care about people, but that doesn't mean that if a church is open, that's, as we said, that's an essential institution. If you're gonna have if you're gonna have a grocery store open or an abortion mill open, and we're gonna talk about abortion here in a minute, then the church can absolutely be open and arresting, arresting a. And I'm gonna get a little fired up here. Excuse me, go just a minute. Uh, when when a when you arrest a pastor in front of his kid, and his kid mm. is weeping, and that pa- that cop is looking at that kid, shame on you, shame on you. I cannot tell you that rips me up inside shame on you and that's not the cop's fault he's following his orders yeah that's that's a good point that's a politician's fault that's a good point let's let's um 
uh, are we um, honoring yeah. Jesus Christ or are we honoring Caesar? Well, some would say, well, we're supposed to do both because of Romans 13. And that's a, another conversation. First of all, Romans 13 does not uh, teach unlimited submission. Very key to understand that point. Yes, brother. Because there are all kinds of examples throughout the pages of Scripture, New Testament and Old Testament, that teach people who rebelled or disobeyed the governing authorities were commended by God. Did you know that Moses wouldn't even be alive if, if the midwife, Hebrew midwife, didn't try to save the babies? But what did the, the king do? What did the government say? Kill all the babies. Wow. Whoops. So that they're all the way through. The apostles said, we must obey God rather than man. So Amen. whatever the government says... What's our authority? This all comes back to authority, the, the authority Amen. of Jesus Christ and his church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And your question was about persecution. It's yes. not coming. It is here. What happens in Europe doesn't stay in Europe. What happens in Canada up north doesn't stay in Canada. We're seeing, Look what happened in Southern California. Mm. They were severely locked down and restricted. In the, in the I church. was there. Okay. And then in, in the other states... Uh, big, um, well, blue state governors were saying, Michigan. okay, now we will, okay, maybe we'll let the church open up with 25% capacity, mask mandates, everything else. You know, I interview a, a patriot pastor, I call him, and many others like him, Steve Smotherman. He's from Legacy Church in New Mexico, and it's a big city, but the governor sued his church $10,000, fined his church. Why? Because Christmas Eve, they wanted to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did not want to turn anybody away. At that point, last December, they moved to a 25% capacity. Oh, thank you, Governor. Thank you. You're allowing us to, only a quarter of us, you're allowing a quarter of us to worship. But he didn't want to turn anybody away. So he said, we're going to worship. He said, the church has to be the church in this cultural moment. And I think they won that lawsuit. He has two lawsuits with the New Mexico government, and he won one of them thanks to Liberty uh, Liberty Institute, First Liberty or something. So yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you mean. But there are some cases that we're looking at this going, wow, our own government in America is coming against the church. And if our founding fathers were here, what do you think their reaction would be? For no. those that, that know true history in America, yeah. unedited history. In other words, there's public school textbooks. They've been revised and rewritten and, and history is not what it used to be when it comes to our foundations. Amen. Our founders would flip. And I think there would be uh, some sort of violent reaction and yeah. response by those who want to defend our rights to worship the one true God. Yeah. But okay, persecution. It's, yep. it's, it's not coming. It's here. Now, that the context, let's look at the world. America is so blessed. Still, we are still one of the freest nations in the world. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in different countries that are being kicked out of their villages. Churches are being burned. Their family members are being slaughtered, martyred. So in our context, it's not like what our brothers and sisters, our family is going through, believers in other countries. So on that degree of persecution is not here. But you're telling me that you're looking at the, the government and the hostility toward Christianity in America. You're saying that it couldn't get there. Don't be naive, friends. So while we have breath in our lungs, our hearts are beating and we have a voice, we better be speaking the truth. Yes, do it in love. But the gospel must be proclaimed and preached and we must be out there trying 
to impact people for Christ while we have time. Amen, brother. Well, you write about abortion in the book, and I'm so very appreciative of that. Mm. In fact, you even say that it's courageous and you commend that. I think that's wonderful. You know, one of my concerns, and this is a conversation my wife and I often have, I think many people are having it. So one of my concerns about the current pro-life movement is that we seem more concerned with saying we're for life from the womb to tomb and everywhere in between. Mm. And that is a biblical position. That is the, the pro-life view. It needs to be articulated that. But uh, my concern is that uh, we're not working towards ending abortion as we should. Do you think that we should not only work towards legislation to end funding for abortion, but work towards the end of abortion in our country? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you. That's a good point that is not brought up enough that that has to be our end goal. If you believe it's a living, growing human life in a mother's womb, then it's murder, isn't it? Then you are eliminating a life you are ripping apart a baby. Now, fetus, the Latin word for fetus means offspring or little one. Isn't that interesting? And up until about a couple decades ago, a pregnant woman was considered to be with child. Mm. Hmm, what does the Bible say? All the days ordained for me were written in your book, God, before I was even born. Jeremiah, I knew you in your mother's womb. You were going to be a prophet to the nations. What about Elizabeth and Mary, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. Wow, that's a part of the Christmas story that doesn't get expounded, <laughs> on, right? Yes. There's a living baby that can feel, and babies can feel pain now. Now, all the things we know what, from sonograms and ultrasounds and modern technology that we didn't know in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed, and the powers that be said you can kill your baby. Oh, right. Now, what we know, there is no excuse. What we're trying to do is, is be all about feelings rather than be about facts and truth. What does the Bible say, first of all? What is true, second of all? But we're saying, oh, I know these are inconvenient circumstances. And by the way, it's not just a woman who commits an abortion. It is whoever her boyfriend is, whoever the male is in that relationship that, that got her pregnant. They all are committing this act together. So now I understand sometimes men don't have a say and, and that's for another conversation. But the point is we should try to strive to eliminate abortion. Yes. Now, here's the thing. The hmm. church hasn't been as good at helping pregnant girls, teens, young mothers. We haven't been as good at that. But now the, it's not the government's job. Now the social justice warriors will say, oh, we need to you know, get the government involved and help fund and help do this. No, what did Jesus say? It's the church. Anything to do with compassion and charity and giving, giving, cheerful giving. But women, pregnant girls, they're in crisis. They, they are confused. They are scared. The church needs to come along them. But some of them, I know, they feel condemned because they don't want to walk in a church. Maybe 50 years ago, when abortion was frowned upon and we looked at the, the girl or the teenage confused girl that was sexually promiscuous, she got pregnant and she was looked upon as, oh my goodness, you don't even belong in church. <sighs> Well, we've come a long way now. We are, I think, in fact, Dave, I think we've come to the opposite spectrum where we've gone over too far to one side, almost not only um, welcoming anyone in the churches, now we are almost bordering on approving, at least accommodating some of these sins, whether that be abortion or homosexuality or, or other things. But getting back to pregnancy, yeah, um, it's an issue that has to be dealt with culturally, but it's got to start with the church. And yes, we need to work on legislation. Um, 
I'll tell you a story real quick. Uh, one of the men I interviewed, Dan uh, Fisher, he, I call him a patriot pastor. He talks about the black robed regiment. He is a pastor in Oklahoma. He ran for office in, uh, I think he was actually elected for a time. So he got into politics thinking, I'm a Christian. I need to try to get in here and try to legislate righteousness because so many in our country, when they get into politics, especially at the national level, we see a lot of godlessness legislated, um, immorality. Now, he, they were all pro-life. They were mostly all conservative. They were pushing these pro-life measures in, in, uh, in their uh, state Congress and state Senate. And all of a sudden, the governor, who I believe was a Republican and conservative, he did not sign the legislation. This is what happened. So he fought and fought and they were making progress and they were doing all this. And the governor said, no, I don't think so. Whatever his reasoning was, uh, Pastor Dan Fisher said, that's when I said, you know, there are even some Republicans that won't go to that extra level. Now, some, there is some speculation that the pro-life industry, if you, for lack of a better word, pro-life organizations, they get funding out of this ongoing work, raising money. And if you were to end abortion or pass these laws, they'd kind of be out of work, not completely. But you know what I mean? I know that might sound harsh, but I think we have to start looking at this as why since 1973 and the, the technology we have and know now medically and what we know, why hasn't the church done more? Why haven't our at least conservative or Republican legislators done more? We keep on going back and forth, depending on who's in the White House, it seems. So I understand some people get very frustrated when it comes to the politics of murder. I said that purposely. The politics of abortion, because it is a moral issue. But bottom line, let's keep fighting, friends. Never give up. Keep fighting. Keep trying to raise awareness about the issue, the truth about life in the womb, and also legislation, pro-life legislation that would protect mothers and their babies. Yeah, that's really good. Well, brother, we got a few more questions here before our time is up. Uh, given, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube and their centering of conservative voices, when should Christians abandon these three social media giants? Or do you think we should stick with them and try to reach people with the gospel on them or or just, you know, say peace out? Uh, wow. Now, I know there are differing views on this, but I think in my personal experience, and I've been shadow banned for years uh, been censored recently, um, but stay on whatever platform you're on until they kick you off. That's my personal philosophy. Amen. Now, we also have to be wise. Look for other platforms because I believe the time's coming. For those who speak out, if you're a silent witness, if you're a closet Christian, you're not going to be affected. So, you know, go, <laughs> go about your business. No, I want to challenge you, though, to be unashamed of the gospel. I want to challenge you to start raising awareness and talking about these things and the gospel truth, because there's a, a lack of truth and moral clarity in our culture today. Um, but I'm, you have to stay on these platforms, look for other platforms. There's uh, I don't parlor and there's uh, all these other ones, uh, clout hub. There's a search engine duck, duck, go. That's not Google, Google. Let me go back to the, the first book I wrote. I remember I was putting some things together for this chapter I was working on. I knew where these links are, these articles that I read. I knew what sites they were on. It may have been the Washington Times, may have been the uh, Standard Reason, may have been some conservative websites, maybe Newsbusters or whatever, maybe Fox News at the time. So I knew where they were, but I would Google the, the, the title or the concept, and I would have to 
go scroll through pages and pages of search results to get to the one I was looking for. This was over 10 years ago. What happened? The progressive, the, the worldly, the leftist sites would come up first. Google totally does that. They manipulate search results. They've been doing this for years, friends. Don't be naive about this anymore, about where you get information. Because they are programmed, they're changing public opinion by directing people who are on their search engine to their results. That's manipulative. And that's not, there's no integrity in that, but they don't care, right? They're changing public opinion. They do it with elections. And I read a little bit about that in my chapter on the, the one party media big tech conglomerate. But Stay on the platforms, use DuckDuckGo, that's a different search engine, and, and use conservative outlets if you can. Um, but there's just a matter of time for those truth proclaimers and defenders. If you say the wrong thing, if you put something in your title or in your description that they don't like. I wrote an article about a month ago or so, Dave, on um, the censorship that it's here, it's coming for Christians. If you want to look that up, uh, Harbinger's Daily picked up that article. but. I named at least a dozen ministry friends, pastors, people that I've interviewed, uh, everyone from John Haller to Sam, uh, uh, Kevin Sorbo uh, to um, who else? Uh, Jack Hibbs, uh, Jan Markell, uh, myself, a couple of the pastor friends that have been censored. And I named what they did on YouTube and all these different platforms, whatever, Facebook. And this is happening now in our republic, our free republic, think about that in the land of the free, when they're trying to limit, su suppress, and sometimes censor speech. So if you have the, a biblical worldview, they're coming. So just, I want to prepare people for that. Um, some would rather not get involved. That's your choice. It's between you and God. I would encourage you to understand the times that we're living in and have a sense of urgency and to be able to talk about these things and be able to get the message out there of truth and try to save as many people as you can, as we can. Use whatever platform as you can. That's, that's my philosophy anyway. Amen, brother. I agree 100%. Hmm. Well, where can people go to find out more about you online, on social media or otherwise, brother? Um, website, davidfiorazzo.com. I know it might be hard to spell in your mind, but it's F as in Friday, I-O-R-A-Z-O, F-I-O-R-A-Z-O. Easier might be just to go to standupforthetruth.com. And then you can look at the about page, get to my links there for my website. Um, Amazon, I have struggles, honestly, about having uh, my books on Amazon, but man, it's out there. It's selling, it's reaching people. That's one of the big ways to reach people. And we can have that conversation another time, whether to use these ungodly corporations and these organizations, but yeah, Amazon, my books are there and um, just uh, let's connect on social media as well. Yeah. Wonderful brother. Wonderful brother. Well, you know, there's a lot that we could really cover in the course of this <laughs> interview, David. We've hit on quite a bit yeah. just as we wrap up. What do you have any takeaways for our listeners or those watching this? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, a couple of the chapters I wrote were actually triggered by a sermon that I preached at uh, church in the last couple of years. And one of them to remind us, uh, first of all, Nehemiah and the Wall, chapter four, Nehemiah chapter four, um, their reaction to the opposition against the Jews. They, uh, the enemies of God were trying to intimidate the Jews, right? Their reaction was first prayer. It says, I we prayed to our God. And we set a guard 
against them. Mm-hmm. First reaction, pray. Second reaction, take do something. What do they do? They set a guard. My question is, where are the watchmen in America? Not just pastors. What about the rest of us? Where are the watchmen? We need more. So let's recruit more remnant believers, more watchmen. Nehemiah 4, I get in depth in that in one of the chapters. But the one I think we can learn from is to recognize how we got here. And um, in Judges chapter 2, um, the sons of Israel, what happened? Joshua's generation followed the Lord wholeheartedly, right? Joshua died. And then the elders of jo- that survived Joshua, they were also following the Lord. They died. And then what happened? One of the most sobering verses in Scripture, and this Kind of there's a parallel to America here, even though several generations have gone by. Verse 10 says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord, nor even the work which he had done for Israel. And the very next verse, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We can see what's happened in America, how we were founded on the, our constitution, was founded on biblical principles, on the one true holy God, and how we were as a country following that for maybe a century, I don't know, but we started getting off track and generation after generation, they have died off and we didn't remember our history, we didn't stay true to the word of God, and now we're to the point where, yeah, I guess there are some people, a good part of the country is doing evil in the sight of God. So this is what we can learn from how we got here. Now, what do we do now? It's one day at a time. We know where we're going. We know who we're going to be with. We know the hope that we have that can never be taken away from us. But if we do truly love our neighbor, we will tell them the truth. Amen. Regardless of their response, regardless of the opposition, regardless of any intolerance toward our Christian worldview, if we love others, we're going to share the gospel. We're going to stay true to the word of God, and we're going to be honest and tell the truth. And they can do with that what they will. Hopefully, God will either plant a seed, water a seed, or you know, let it be part of the harvest. The harvest is great. The workers are few. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter. Amen, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time today, thank brother. Thank you. Amen. Well, hey, guys, uh, pick up David's book, Canceling Christianity. If you're watching this, you can see the book here. Uh, the book is Canceling Christianity, How the Left Silences Churches, Dismantles the Constitution, Divides Our Culture. I think this is a, it's a very well-written book. It's captivating. I read it in less than about a day. So, uh, wow. or so I was, I, I was, uh, thought that it was very well-written and very well mm. said. So guys pick up the book, David, thank you so much for your time and for your friendship and looking forward to keeping talking to you, brother. To be continued. God bless you, Dave. Thanks again. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.